Welcome to Earth Matters, environmental and social justice stories, produced at 3CR Radio and broadcast across this continent on the Community Radio Network. I'm Jem Rummeld, and this week we're hearing stories of anarchism in action in the anarchist and anti-authoritarian community of Exarchia in Athens, Greece. Our guest is Dr. Nicholas Apoifus. Yeah, hi, I'm Nicholas Apoifus, Nick. I'm a lecturer at the University of New South Wales in International Relations, uh, and I just completed a book called Anarchy in Athens, an ethnography of militancy, emotions and violence. So can you please start by giving us an outline of what this book is about? Yeah, sure, Jim, and thanks for having me, by the way. Uh, yep. Love your show, love your work as well. You're an awesome activist, uh, and your Thanks, listeners Nick. probably need to know that. Uh, so in 2011, I went and spent uh, three months living in Athens amongst uh, the anarchist and anti-authoritarian community there. And again, I went back in 2013. And I guess what I wanted to understand was what was happening there amongst this sort of really vibrant, militant, active community. Mm. And we kind of got a lot of um, we got a lot of media at the time. Um, particularly in 2008, and then as the sort of financial crisis hit Greece, mm. about the activities, but it was the activities of anarchists, the most militant activities. Mm. That's what we saw. We saw them in the streets. We saw them you know, throwing Molotovs mm. at police. We saw them engaging with fascists. And what I wanted to get a sense of was, well, firstly, what's going on with that? Of mm. course, that's really telling and interesting. But mm. at the same time, what was happening underneath? Mm. What was happening on the day-to-day? How, how were these groups organising? Because I'd mm. heard of this, this neighbourhood called Exarchia, 10 to 15 minutes walk from Parliament. And this community, this anarchist and anti-authoritarian community, milieu, had carved out a semi-autonomous, nay, autonomous region in the heart of Athens. And it's fascinating to think that, I call it like a Molotov throwaway. Mm. It's so close to Parliament. Mm. Uh, and it's an amazing opportunity for activists to be so close to this state, this institution, mm. that, that their, uh, their grievances are directed at. So I wanted to go mm. over and find out more and better understand this space and the movement, who they are, who these people are. Mm. And it was an ethnography, and what, what I mean by that was... Uh, I wanted to understand their culture. What happens? How do they deal with grievances? How do they deal with dissent? Mm. Uh, What what do they believe? What do they think? Who are they? Where do they come from? What are their Mm. narratives and their stories? Mm. Um, Which just makes it very difficult to compile into one book because you've got thousands upon thousands of different stories. Yeah. What drew you to to that community initially? Were you... So you were living in Sydney. Um, were you part of? Were you watching what was happening over there? Were you engaged with um, these kinds of communities in Sydney? What like honed you in sure. to go there? Um, probably, firstly, it's probably a combination of two things. I would say um, culturally and ethnically, my family's Greek. Uh, they came yeah. from Greece, so they left after World War Two. So there's always been that interest in that location, that region, that geography. Yeah. And at the same time, I would consider myself extremely sympathetic to uh, anarchist and anti-authoritarian politics and very interested in it. And, you know, when, when, when people ask, oh, what is anarchism, and you go ahead to describe it, mm-hmm. um, it kind of exists sometimes as this theory, this, even mm-hmm. this utopic, utopic, utopian ideal of, mm-hmm. um, oh, you know, no authority and no, um, uh, no discrimination and no domination. But um, the critique always comes back, well, you know, can this ever work? Mm-hmm. Can this exist? Well, firstly, it's not utopian, it's a struggle. And in this place, in Athens, 
they're kind of living that. Mm. So that's why it was a combination of this t- those two. And at the same time, so I guess there's a third point, this is really the most militant, the most active mm. anarchist and anti-authoritarian space, place, bunch of people mm. in the world as far as I'm aware. Wow. Okay. So um, can you paint us a, a picture like this community that's 10, 15 minutes from parliament? How big is it? Is it um, a house, a building? Um, what's, yeah, pa- paint a picture of what a, a typical day in that community might be like. Yeah, good one. Um, okay, a typical day. Uh, well, it's a let's let's first call it a neighbourhood. Um, uh, a neighbourhood of maybe five kilometres by five kilometres, um, and not everyone in that area of the anarchist and authoritarian. Obviously, there's um, it's a it's a leftist bohemian community as well, yeah. uh, and it was sort of a place of resistance during the military junta in the 1970s, yeah. and then slowly through the 70s and into the 80s and 90s, it became a sort of uh, the heart of the anarchist and anti-authoritarian space. Um, so, what does that mean on the day to day? Well, there is the political side, the political action side, where they're active against things so they're Mm. active against the state they're helping migrant communities who are being attacked by golden dawn the Mm. fascist far-right political party who are complicit with the state Mm. and with the police interestingly one in two in order to get a sense of the space one in two greek police officers voted for the party of the far right wow and this is a pretty Mm. as far right parties go this is Mm. sort of you know, Zikale far right, like yeah. neo-Nazi, neo-fascist party. Yeah, so you've got some that of them going have on. Visited Australia, and there have been people yeah. protesting visit, visits and asking for them not to be allowed into the country. That, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and they've kind of infiltrated the Greek community in Melbourne a little bit, mm. um, and Sydney to a lesser extent, and certainly have connections with the Australia First Party and the parties of the far right in Australia. Mm. And what's interesting is that they've sold this narrative in Australia. This is Golden Dawn that they are just helping people but and they are they're really mm. visible on the streets they've actually taken some of the tactics of the anarchists which are, which are creating food banks to feed poor people to feed the poor to go into mm. uh, yeah to deliver services health services medical services but what's happened in Australia yeah. is they've created this narrative that they're doing it for everyone but mm. what we know on the streets is they're not they have signs out the front that say Greeks only mm. at the food banks they'll ask for Greek identification papers mm. um, and and what I learned from my experiences there are that the far right are actively target migrant, targeting migrant communities, beating, stabbing, murdering. Mm. And so one of the things that the anarchists do is engage with that far right movement mm. and offer a protection um, and antagonism towards those entities. So that's mm. one. Uh, another thing they would do on a day-to-day basis would have, be have many protests against the austerity measures uh, and against the role of the police, mm. more broadly, the role of the state, the role of government, all those sorts of things. Huge prisoner support networks mm. as well. Uh, a, a number of political prisoners in Greece, so mm. they go and support them. They might have a protest outside the prison. Um, and that's, but that's sort of like... Uh, uh, not harder that's the that's one aspect of it mm. on the day to day that they're they're creating an anarchist community they're implementing prefigurative politics mm. which means that the kind of things that you think about as anarchists, you implement them on a day-to-day basis. Mm. So, skill sharing. There's really there's tons of cool skill sharing stuff. Mm. There's farmers bringing their kids in, uh, and in exchange for food, they leave mm. their kids there for a couple of weeks, and the kids will get maths lessons and, wow. and guitar lessons and English lessons. Wow. Uh, and I think it's one of, one of the products. One of the interesting things about Greece is that because there's such a, a huge 
population of people that went to university as mm. because of free university um, and there's so few jobs mm. there's a lot of really well educated people that don't have anything to do mm. and so rather than do nothing they're implementing their politics mm. um, in that sense so yeah a lot of skill sharing a lot of um, uh, so they do this thing this amazing thing called supermarket expropriations Jim and what that means is you run into a supermarket um, hooded balaclavas yeah. uh, and you take food out um, so I've seen it occasionally where they take money out as well and then they burn the money outside of the, the supermarket. Wow. But they take the food and then literally within the street of the supermarket, like within that street, they'll yeah. set up a little food bank and feed the homeless community there because there's, there's a huge issue in, in Athens at the moment. Amazing. Yeah. They yeah. must be targeted by police quite a lot, especially if a lot of the police are leaning towards fascism or are anti-migrants um, and seeing that this whole community is aiming to protect or give solidarity to those people. Did you find that they would be targeted day-to-day by police? Oh, regularly. There's the squats, uh, I spent a lot of time squatting, and there was always a fear that mm. police would raid the squats. Um, and even when there was a change of government, there was a the centre-left government or the left government city so came into power, uh, and there was a sense that perhaps that would change, certainly not amongst the anarchists, amongst mm. the liberal press at least, mm. but that didn't change. Mm. Um, there was a separation between what the government might have wanted to happen, mm. but what the police were doing regardless, and that mm. was getting into squats, um, targeting people on the streets. Mm. I mean, it's a, it's a weird neighbourhood because it's almost like there's colonial outposts, like a tower where you know you're in the space because mm. there's a police truck parked there, a bus and then on the next corner, there's another police right. bus and then another police, so always, always marking always it out, watching, always yeah. watching, but they don't go in, well, they go in very rarely and then there's yeah. huge riots and protests as a result. Yeah. Um, so there's huge police hostility. And one of the things that in, in the title of Anarchy in Athens is the notion of violence. And that was the other thing I was trying to get at. What, what mm. drives people, what gets people to be to act violently. Mm. Um, and we can define violence in a number of ways, perhaps we'll leave that. But w- why would someone participate in that action that was that puts their body on the line? Mm. Um, and it was what they saw coming from the police, what mm. they saw coming from um, the fascist entities, or stories that they knew. They might have had a sibling or a friend that was involved that had been beaten, mm. tortured. There's a lot of torture going on by the police. Uh, and also, so you, I heard these narratives before I went over there, and then as a sort of stark example, I was at a protest. Uh, it was about um, the, the Greek government, the Turkish government, were thinking about building a wall mm. up on the northern border to prevent refugees coming, migrants coming in from mm. that, from sort of uh, uh, Syria um, and Iraq, and they wanted to build a wall. Okay, so mm. there's this protest. The anarchists line up. The communists were there. The teachers' unions, all these sorts of unions, migrant collectives, mm. police. There's a physical engagement, tear gas, mm. all that sort of stuff. And then there's a fascist line cadres i guess mm. behind behind the police so and civilians? i saw yeah um members of golden dawn okay um trying to support the police acting as another wow. line um and the march was trying to get to a park and at the park there was going to be sort of all these migrant services provided and and health all that sort of um, stuff mm. and i saw these people these clearly members of golden dawn or the hard right go into the police van and get a baton and shields from the police. Just help themselves. Now, complicity, that's the sort of definition of complicity. Yeah. Uh, So that's what the space is dealing with regularly. Like, it's a very hostile environment. And how does that that work for the protesters? Is there a big enough mass for um, violent resistance to be successful as a a tactic? Because I know in in Australia, the, um, the majority of protest culture 
here um, is non-violent action or non-violent direct action for a number of reasons, but probably partly because the might of the police will be overwhelming. So it doesn't feel like it that we can possibly, you know, violently overpower the police. So how does that work in, in Greece? Have, have there been instances where it, it works and, and the, the protesters get what they want? Um, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Uh, that, that's what's most interesting about Athens is that they've kept their space for, since, you know, let's say the mid-70s, but mm. more actively since 1984, 85. Mm. They, they, they have maintained the space. And so while one squat gets down, there's about, you know, 70, 80 squats in this, in this, in this area. Oh, and, and the tentacles sort of spread yeah. out. But if we can sort of say that's the heart of it, yeah. and the tentacles spread out from Exadia, yes, that... that they have continued and thrived despite this opposition, despite mm. this antagonism, because it's such a um, well-organised, tight-knit community. Mm. Now, you asked me originally in that first question, what, what if I could describe the space? It's hard to put a number on. Mm. I've heard estimates between ten and twenty thousand. Wow. It's hard to know because uh, in a protest there could be many or not many, depending on the day mm. and depending on what the action's about. Um, and uh, demographics. It's a sort of let's say, 16 to 50-year-old community, 16-year-olds to 50-year-olds. I I saw a pretty even gender, um, Mm. male-female identification split. Uh, But so going back to the question of why why the space can survive, I think it's because they see violence as a self-defence mechanism mm. and often in the conversations people will be like well, we don't we don't want to be violent we don't mm. want to have to fight and have these yeah. physical confrontations and and some of the stuff's barbaric what you see you know mm. uh, activists blood pouring out of their head you know the tear gas being shot rather than the gun being aimed up high so it lobs at the tear gas canister mm. in shot at a low trajectory in order to mm. harm at the same time mm. as dispersing tear gas this is earth matters produced at 3cr radio in fitzroy victoria and broadcast all across these stolen lands we call Australia on the Community Radio Network. You're listening to an interview with Nicholas Apoifus, author of Anarchy in Athens, an ethnography of militancy, emotions and violence. Nick is currently talking about violence in the context of anti-authoritarian movements in Athens. Let's get back to it. When I came back to Australia after that first visit, I visited a number of um, uh, sort of anti-fascist collectives and, and sort of in, the aim was to disseminate the, that information of the experiences that I'd learnt overseas. And what was clear was that violence works there. Mm. Uh, and, and it's hard to just take the culture of violence and that culture of self-defence violence and just implant it into another mm. setting. And that's dangerous. Yeah. That's not saying it shouldn't happen at mm. all. It's just dangerous. And you need to take aware of the cultural circumstances of the environment in which you're active in. Of course, mm. you know that. Uh, so why does it work in Greece? I think also there is a huge history, and this is something that I really enjoyed learning from the activists, there is a history of resistance to the state. There's mm. a, in 1974, they, over, they literally overthrew a military dictatorship. Mm. The, the left overthrew a military dictatorship. And that's fascinating to think that within two generations, that, that mindset still exists, yeah. of course, because they know that serious change can happen. Yeah, in recent memory In recent, well. absolutely. Living memory. Living memory. And not through a ballot box, not through yeah. by a pleasantries and that sort of um, pluralistic prejudice that you can just go and mm. uh, join a political party and mm. invokes change, uh, any serious change through that mechanism. Mm. So there is that mentality that serious things, serious change can occur, uh, which is fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And what was it like for you going there um, and gaining entry into that community? Because I'd imagine that um, 
needing to defend itself so staunchly that um, there would be a bit of a process to learn who to trust and who to allow and welcome into the community. So um, how did you find it going there and and what was your methodology like to um, to learn from the people there? Uh, in, in short, it was really hard uh, to get in uh, at first. And I know I had my own sort of emotional baggage about rocking up to people and saying, hey, I'm a researcher from Australia. Could I ask you some questions to, you know, it was often meant to fuck off, of yeah. course. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, after a while, you gain a little bit of confidence and, and you're open about what your project is. And I was always open about my project. Uh, and... I participated in as many actions as possible. Mm. But, you know, I wrote a whole book on it and I would absolutely say that there were people that continuously distrusted me. Mm. Uh, But I had a very interesting experience before I left. Um, The university that I was uh, uh, connected to at the time, I presented the initial project and this is what I was going to go and do. And there was a person who was uh, from the police and counterterrorism school at that university who came up to me afterwards, actually asked a question was more of a statement during the talk and mm. said, I can't wait for you to return so I can have your findings and I can share them with other police organisations here mm. and abroad, he said. And so that freaked me out. And so it kind of got Yeah, very creepy. Yeah. Yeah. And it got me into the mentality of sort of, uh, you know, paranoia is real when it's mm. <laughs> identified um, mm. and outed. So uh, I was hyper aware of my own role within that space like getting information. Uh, getting information, mm. yeah. So I, I, I perhaps um, we don't know, need to go into too much detail, but I took extreme measures, mm. um, and which re- revolved around taking extreme caution about the information that I had and mm. how what I did with that physically mm. once I obtained that information. So you know, dummy email accounts and all that sort of stuff, yeah. and sending that sort of stuff. So yeah, but but to, to be fair, while I gained a lot of trust from certain individuals, which you get from squatting and living with people and mm. sharing food and lodgings and and engaging with them every day, mm. there were some who would constantly antagonise me about my presence, mm. what was I doing there, and I, I just ended up buddying up with people to make sure that I was a, I had someone close to me. And the same thing happened in protests, um, as I was aware of my uh, the, the police, mm. essentially. Yeah. Um, there was a couple of times where uh, police would come up to me and say, what are you doing here? And I had to pretend I was a tourist and mm. you know, play that role. Any favourite moments in your research? There's probably a lot, but if you can think of one. A lot of the time, and I... <laughs> A lot of the time it was stupid things that I did um, that made me a better researcher, so mm. that's a little bit about me. Well, the first one was we were in this great protest. It was quite early on, and I was trying to decipher all the colours of the flags on these sticks that the anarchists had. There was red and black. And I was oh, that's anarcho-syndicalist. Uh, there was the red flag. That's probably more anarchist, traditional, the black insurrectionist, the green, oh, anarcho-environmentalist, um, all these sort of nuances. I'm like, wow, this is an amazing space. I didn't realise there was this congregation of so many different perspectives. and to, All united. All united, and to have them as flags as well. Yeah. Um, so we're marching along. Um, the tear gas canister gets lodged in, and I said to one of the people that I was with, oh, quickly before we get dispersed, tell me about these flags. And he goes, and he said, Remalaka, you you idiot, Uh, and watch this. And then 10 seconds later, they ripped off the flags and they were just battens to to, to (laughs) engage the police with. And they use the flags so they can get on public transport without walking along with with, With with weapons. (laughs) Um, But that that, that was a sort of personal moment. What, what What I probably took the most out of it and the most enjoyable thing was seeing... Uh, the way in which conflict was not, I won't use the word resolved, but engaged mm. with. Mm. Uh, and the, the central part of uh, the thesis of anarchy in Athens is that 
by its very nature, uh, anarchist politics is full of conflict and full of dissent. Mm. That has to be. Mm. It has to be inbuilt within a system that challenges hierarchy and domination. Mm. So what do you do to overcome that? What do you do to deal with that? And there's thousands upon thousands of little nuances that the space does. Mm. Um, and reject sometimes and build on and develop Mm. and throw away because it's not working but the thesis of the book is that when they come together in these militant actions Mm. the unity the the unity overcomes the sort of uh tensions and fissures within the space yeah Um, that and that unity is really amazing and it comes together Mm. through emotional connections Mm. and hostility towards the other i'm wondering about um the resolution of conflict within the community and also um, what the gender politics were of the space and if it was enacting you know an anti-patriarchal world within the space as it might idealize for the whole world yeah that, that's great Jim because I I, don't, I just caught myself and noticed that I might have been romanticizing the space a little bit too mm. much and and actually a big part of the book is the is the conflict that occurs in the private, in the sort of away mm. from the public sphere um, and, and the issues around that. So, so to go to your question about gender politics, look, absolutely on paper, mm. the conversation that I had were some of the most nuanced and, and, and inspiring conversations about gender politics mm. and, and the role of the patriarchy, and particularly in a really conservative society like most of Greece is with the heavy mm. involvement of the Greek Orthodox Church. So that was fascinating, yet at the same time and quite disturbingly, I saw, I, I saw so I witnessed some pretty poor gender politics, usually around the, the, the role of um, uh, domestic labour within mm. a squat. Um, and that was quite troubling. And, and the conversations you'd have with people once that was raised r- ranged from, uh, yes, we know, we're working on it, to mm. no, it's not an issue, mm. um, it just is, to... One person who, who it's quite sad because it was a very good contact and very good colleague and someone I really enjoyed mm. being in that space with said, if you publish this or if you intend to publish this, we're never speaking again. So, yeah, so I went ahead and... Embarrassed. Em- embarrassed. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, actually, no, um, probably not him. There were others that were certainly mm. embarrassed. I reckon with him it was... Oh, we don't want this. Oh, it is embarrassment. Actually, well, I don't like want this out there. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. humiliation. Like if yeah, you yeah, that's right. This, yeah. it doesn't look good for us at all. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And, and sort of trying to push it under the carpet as well. Like, mm. I mean, it's a pretty serious issue. Yeah. Um, and the other time I saw it was at, in the general assemblies when um, someone would be speaking, you, if it was a, usually when it was a woman speaking, a younger woman, mm. people would talk over the top or to yeah. try to help them get their point across but they never did it with male activists you know there's one thing if we're having a conversation for you to help me get my point sure okay but to only do it to women to young women in a space yeah um, can't help the mansplain it was totally mansplain of course (laughs) um so so i did see i see that but at the same time that that's a that's a part it's Mm. not the whole Mm. they're trying to work on it they say they probably Mm. are but of course it's still there of course it is yeah so we're yeah. running out of time soon, but let's bring it back home. Um, yeah, and great. what do you think there are any lessons for organising in Australia? Yeah, for sure. You, um, you asked me earlier about my methodology, so I'm going to intro uh, yeah. this bit about the methodology yep. to get to this point. Okay. Great. So the the particular methodology that I used um, comes from a guy called Jeffrey Juris, who's an amazing sort of anarchist uh, uh, ethnographer from the states, uh, and he calls it militant ethnography. Mm-hmm. And so what it's premised on is the idea that so ethnography, study of cultures, people going into another space to learn. But the militancy is derived, desi- derived from the vigorous pursuit of 
and dissemination of mm. partisan insights. Mm -hmm. So what I went over there to do was learn about what this space is doing mm -hmm. and what to do with that information. Yeah. And so when Juris um, kind of designed this ethnographic approach, what he wanted to do was say, you get into the movement and you start recommending them things that they could do. You start organising, um, you take more of a... You take much more than a peripheral role. Mm. But when I got there, at, at the question about trust that you mentioned earlier, it was so hard to be recommending actions mm. to this space that's been existing for 30 years yeah. and this blow-in comes in and says, hey, here you go, yeah. I've got this really good idea of what you guys should be doing. Well, no, it didn't work out. But what we did was, in, in a number of squat conversations, was construct... Um, a way of disseminating that information. Mm -hmm. And so what I did, as I mentioned, was come back to anti-fascist collectives and anarchist and anti-authoritarian and leftist um, communities and book fairs and sort of tell the story of the organising and the resistance mm. to, um, to, to the police and the state. So to mm. bring it back to what the lessons for Australia would be, well, I think probably the best lesson is the engagement with the far right mm. uh, you know, it's easy to critique activists who go out into the streets and say no to fascism, mm. um, but you have to. Yeah. You have to, and you can win that way. You can, because mm. it's about controlling your space and saying what is, isn't appropriate and not yeah. appropriate and in And not space. letting them get away with saying those things in public in that space. That's right, yeah, and, and challenging them all the time. But at the same time, applying tactics that are totally geographically mm. and culturally uh, appropriate for your space. You can't mm. just take in armed resistance and bring it here. Um, maybe later, yeah. <laughs> but not As now. As things escalate. As things escalate, for sure. Uh, you can't go and get a bus down to Canberra because... Mm. You know, like at Sindagma, sorry, the Greek Parliament is so close to the suburb. Canberra mm. is so far away from mm. everyone except for people living in Canberra. Yeah, who mostly work there. <laughs> who mostly work there and are probably part of the system. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. How can people get their hands on this book? Oh, that's, a, that's the best question you've asked, Jeff. Thank you so much. No, no, not at all. Not at all. And pay, and pay. Um, so the book's called Anarchy in Athens, An Ethnography of Militancy, Emotions and Violence, and it's distributed in Australia through Foot. Prince Footprints Press Footbridge, um, but it's Manchester University Press in the, in the UK. Thank you so much for writing this book, and I'm sure it will contain a lot of lessons in it. So I'd encourage all our listeners to get online and get the book. Thanks so much, Nick Apoifus. Thank you so much for your time, Jeff. This has been Earth Matters, produced for 3CR Radio in Fitzroy, Victoria, on Wurundjeri land, and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. That was Dr Nicholas Apoifus, lecturer at the University of New South Wales and author of Anarchy in Athens, an ethnography of militancy, emotions and violence, available through Manchester University Press or your nearest radical bookstore. I'm Jem Rommeld and you can get in touch with the Earth Matters team by emailing earthmatters3cr at gmail.com. You can find our page on Facebook or call up the station on 03 941 98377. To get more info and up-to-date news, the Greek Resistance Bulletin plays on 3CR Radio every Tuesday night. You can find episodes online at 3cr.org.au slash Greek Resistance Bulletin. The music you've been hearing on this week's show is from the 90s Greek punk band Naftia and Freedom by Rage Against the Machine. We look forward to talking at you again next week on Earth Matters. Yo, check the diagonal Three brothers going, come on Doesn't make it three in a row
as it gets. Global Intifada, bringing you current affairs through revolutionary and protest music from around the world. Every Thursday afternoon from 5 till 6 on 3CR. Because music is our bomb. <laughs> 